This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network. Unions have been quite an influential force in America. And some of that influence has been very positive. Child labor laws, the eight-hour workday, weekends off. These are things that can be directly attributed to the labor movement of the late 1800s. The vast majority of union members are patriotic, hard-working Americans. But there is a seedy underbelly to labor unions that needs to be discussed and understood. Contrary to what most Americans have heard and probably believe, the Koch brothers and large corporations are not the largest political contributors. Unions are, by far, the largest financial contributors in politics, giving almost exclusively to Democrats, social Democrats, and progressive causes. But we'll investigate that on an upcoming episode. As we discussed last time, Unions have been the cauldrons of socialism, Marxism, and communism. But they have also fomented violence. At times, their Democratic allies in Congress have even encouraged it. Massachusetts Democratic Michael Cupano fired up the union crowd in 2011. Every once in a while, you're going to get out on the streets and get a little bloody when necessary. Unions have been taking that advice for a long time. Some have even employed a mixture of Marxism and violence. They were the revolutionaries. One such group was the International Working People's Association. It became the center for national anarchist federations in the early 1880s and favored warfare against the capitalist society and its leaders. Soon, Militant social revolutionary groups organized education and defense outposts, their members meeting regularly and drilling with arms, the authors noted, adding that insurrection and terror against individuals was also advocated. Union violence broke out as early as 1877, when the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad cut wages for the second time in a year, and striking workers blocked the train tracks. Violence erupted in multiple cities from Chicago to Baltimore. There were street battles with federal troops, trains were damaged, and infrastructure set on fire. On May 4, 1886, at Haymarket Square in Chicago, yet another deadly encounter took place. Striking workers had clashed with police the day before, and four workers were killed. In response, union leaders posted signs all over town asking people to show up armed at the Haymarket. And thousands did. The demonstration started peacefully, but then, as police moved in to disperse the crowd, an anarchist threw a dynamite bomb at the police. Between the blast and the gunfire afterward, seven police officers were killed along with four civilians. In the resulting trial, eight anarchists were convicted of conspiracy. One of the men were believed to have built the bomb, but none of them actually threw it. 
Still, four of the men were executed. One committed suicide in jail, and the other three were pardoned in 1893 by the new Illinois governor. But one of the bloodiest labor disputes in U.S. history happened the summer of 1892 at the Carnegie Steel Mill office in Pittsburgh. The mill union wanted a new contract, but management locked them out instead. In the resulting chaos, Pinkerton guards fired on strikers, but were overwhelmed by the mob. Three of the guards surrendered, were disarmed, and then beaten by the mob. A total of seven guards and 11 strikers or spectators were shot and killed in one day. Later, a Russian anarchist named Alexander Berkman tried to assassinate Carnegie chairman Henry Frick in his office. In 1892, the deadly Coeur d'Alene miners' strike took place, and in 1894, the Pullman Railroad strike took 14,000 federal and state troops to put an end to it. In subsequent years, there were many, many more. And as the 20th century dawned, unions gained more strength and more allies. Progressives Woodrow Wilson and FDR were huge supporters of the unions and vice versa. Unions became enmeshed with another, even seedier ally during the 20th century. Mobs. The Mafia. From the documentary Unions and the Mob. New York's most notorious labor racketeer before Prohibition, the son of Jewish immigrants, was a young man named Benjamin Fine, who because of a medical condition that kept his eyes half-closed, was known to one and all as Dopey Benny. Well, Dopey Benny was uh, what was known as a a stalker, which was the the Jewish term on the Lower East Side for a gunman. Uh, He was a major player in the Union Wars, Uh, on the Lower East Side uh, at the time, and he worked uh, for the unions uh, in a variety of uh, uh, measures, attacking uh, scabs, attacking uh, people who were trying to break up uh, demonstrations, uh, threatening people to enter the union, and so forth. This early marriage of unions and mobsters was short-lived for Dopey Benny. Charged with homicide in 1914, Dopey Benny Fine, America's first labor racketeer, became the underworld's first stool pigeon. His information led to charges against 11 gangsters and 23 labor leaders. Others learned their lesson well from Dopey Benny. The 20th century labor wars opened up vast new territory to mafia influence and domination. Organized crime would move in on unions and employers nationwide, soaking up the wages and pension funds of union members while extorting huge payoffs from businesses in return for labor peace. The Mafia would take control of major international unions and find its way into executive boardrooms. In its infancy, labor racketeering was a matter of scattered beatings, goon squads, and petty extortion. It would soon mature into a formal part of organized crime when major underworld gangs took control. Gangsters were on the lookout for industries and unions with corruptible leaders. Their first big scores were in the trucking, building trades, garment, longshore, and restaurant unions. In every case... It would be the rank-and-file members who would suffer most. Sadly, the mafia continued to influence and, in some cases, control organized labor unions for decades. In 1982, a U.S. Senate committee concluded that in most major American cities, a majority of the locals of the International Longshoremen's Association, the Laborers' Union, the Hotel and Restaurant Workers' Union, and the Teamsters are completely dominated by organized crime. In 1935, Congress passed the National Labor Relations Act, essentially making it compulsory for Americans who didn't want to join a union to join a union if their shop voted 50% plus one for unionizing. Then, 
everyone who worked there had to pay union dues. Even that didn't lessen the severity of the union's vengeance against any who stood against them. From the 1981 documentary, The Scepter of Union Violence, Big Labor Persuasion. Neil Martin is a man who knows how it feels to have had a rendezvous with death. Martin exercised his right to work during a militant trucker strike. As a result, he was brutally beaten by union toughs and left permanently disabled with psychomotor epilepsy. One of them come around, had a picket sign in his hands, and at that time he tried to knee me in the groin area. He kneed me once, and I got rid of my hand truck, and he kneed me again. And at that time, he looked like he was going to hit me with a picket sign. So I decided that, you know, I better do something. So I backed up to get a little room. And when I did, I bumped into a guy on this side of me, on the right. And immediately I knew I'd been set up. I turned to the left, and when I did, there was a guy coming around with a stick from a picket sign like this. And he hit me in the head. At that time, I went down to the ground on my knees. I didn't go unconscious, but I went down. As soon as I hit the ground on my knees, the guy in front of me with the picket sign kicked me in the stomach. And I went over face first into the asphalt, busted my nose, started bleeding. And then they started kicking me in the side of the head and kicking me in the ribs and in the ear and neck. My doctor has described what I have as psychomotor epilepsy. Uh, go into an epileptic seizure, uh, bite my tongue, bite my gum, my mouth, inside of my mouth. Uh, I pass out on the floor, kick. Uh, I'm out for about... 15 seconds, 30 seconds, but I'm out for about two hours afterwards, which I usually sleep. As for the guys that did it, they got off scot-free. Why not? Because the union paid for it. The union got lawyers, the union bought everything. That's pitiful. You smash a guy's head, you kick him in the face, you bust him all up, and the union says, well, because we got money in. That's the way it is. So they let him go. As for me, here I am now, five years later, I can't get a job in this town because of the union activities. I don't have a driver's license. I can't drive around. I have all kinds of problems. I have to take all kinds of medications. Uh, what can I do? I can't get a job. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm screwed for life. In 1993, a non-union worker, Eddie York, striving to feed his family, crossed a coal miner's picket line and was shot in the back of the head at the entrance to the mine by United Mine Workers member Jerry Dale Lowe. For the cold-blooded murder, which left York's wife a widow and children fatherless, Lowe received less than 10 years, 8 months in prison. For his part, the then head of the UMW, now AFL-CIO chief Richard Trumpka, said you had to be very naive to believe that if management brought in scabs, there wouldn't be something somewhere. He also said, I'm saying if you strike a match and you put your finger in it, you're likely to get burned. That doesn't mean I'm threatening to burn you. It just means if you strike the match and put your finger in it, common sense will tell you it will burn your finger. Again, this isn't an indictment of union members in general. However, the history and continued action of union leadership should be something that is known and understood. Next time, what kind of influence do America's labor unions, with their mob ties, socialist and communist leanings, and waning yet still present mafia influence, impact American politics today? Glenn Beck.
I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash glen.